so uh, here's my clipboard, and I just got to tell you that I've been making a list. I've been checking it twice. I'm going to find out who's been naughty, who's been not. No, just kidding about the naughty and nice part, but I, I, I am serious about, about making a list. I, I found making a list very effective as a tool to help me to remember. Uh, there are things to do. There are things to get. There are, you know... Uh, Lists are very important to all of us, and we use it, and a lot of times we don't even realize that we're utilizing a list. How many have a wish list? You know, uh, For you young married men that are here, let me just give you some advice. There's a thing called the honeydew list. Joe and your wife want you to do something. You just tell her, hon, it's on the list. It's on, it's on the honeydew list, and I, you know, but you haven't done it yet. But I'm going to get to it because it's on the list. So, so the list is very practical. It's very helpful for us. Uh, now that I'm in my senior years, <laughs> uh, the list is not optional. The, the list is necessary. I need to rely upon, upon the list. Sometimes I find myself at the bottom of the stairs, and I, and I forgot, did I just come down or am I about to go up? You know, or like, or like you're at the refrigerator and did I just put something away or am I supposed to take something out? You know, listen, it'll happen to all of you eventually, you know, if, if you're blessed. Right. But but I want to share with you that that lists are extremely practical and extremely important. At a conference that I was at earlier in the month of May, uh, they gave me a schedule. It's got my name on it and it's and it's uh, fine tuned for me. In the classes, they're called breakout classes. And this was over a period of two and a half days. And it's my schedule. It's my program of classes. And it's got the times. It's got the location of where the classes would be found on a very large campus. And so this was very useful for me as I navigated myself around a very large campus attending these classes. But I tell you what it did. It kind of gave me the willies because, uh, and if you don't know what the willies are, ask somebody anyway. Uh, it brought back a recurring nightmare that I've had over the years, over, over many years. I mean, every once in a while, I, I would just remember this nightmare that, that I'm back in school, and I have absolutely no idea where my next class is. And they, they say that this is not uncommon, and that maybe you can relate, but but I'm, I'm back in school, and I have no idea where my next class is. I don't know where my program is. I'm kind of lost. And all I know is that it's final exam day, and I don't have a clue as to where I'm going. Somebody please tell me what my nightmare means, you know? I mean, it, it must have some deep, significant meaning. But, but lists are extremely important. I, I, some of you, I know that most of the crowd is young tonight, but, but how many of you have ever heard, let me just see your hands, I've ever heard of a movie by the name of Schindler's List or the title Schindler's List. So, all right, the majority of you. It was a real uh, uh, award-winning movie, uh, got lots of acclaim for Best Picture and, and, and all that stuff back when it was made. It was a Steven Spielberg movie, and it was about life uh, back in Nazi Germany, uh, Jewish men and women who were prisoners of the Roman, em- oh, not the Roman Empire, excuse me, the, <laughs> the Nazi Empire, a lot alike, but anyway... Uh, and, and they were, they were uh, working in a factory for a man by the name of Oscar Schindler, and they were making ammunition. And uh, 
Uh, toward the end of the movie, all of the people are, are destined to be sent to the death camp. They're, 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 they're marked for, for death, right? And Oscar uh, uh, Schindler determines that he's going to buy their freedom. He's going to use the resources of his entrepreneurship that he has gained over the last number of years, and he's going to buy their freedom. And the accountant uh, who's uh, uh, typing out the names, the list of names, and and at one point, it's very poignant. He turns to Mr. Schindler and he says, the list is life. You know, the realization that all these names represent people who will be given another opportunity for, uh, for a life. They'll be saved from the death camp. And he says, the, the list is life. Now, I, I just got to tell you this. That, th- that was one important list. And it was so, it was so precious during... That scene. I, I, I love I love one-liners from from movies that you can identify with that become a part of our cultural uh, experience. Uh, like like for, for, for example, uh, we're gonna need a bigger boat. Anybody know what movie that's from? Jaws, right? Right. Uh, how about this one? I lo- love this one. Leave the gun and take the ganolis. Kevin, don't ever leave the ganolis behind, right? All right. How about this one? Who, who hasn't said? In jest, right? Uh, I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. I made him an offer. He could, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that becomes a part of our culture. What, what I want you to retain tonight is the significance of the list. The list is life. You see, all of us have life experiences that become a part of the events of our life. Let me say it. Say it this way. If, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, I, I'm so glad that you're here. But I want you to know that there is a, an important list that is way more important than that one. And that list can be found in what the Bible calls is the book of life. And those are names of men and women and children who have been rescued, who have been ransomed, or, or who have been saved by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that he came and died for our sins, and that as a result of that, believing the gospel, your name becomes recorded in what is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, I want to tell you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here tonight, you can have your name added to the Book of Life. It's not on the basis of works. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. If you will believe the gospel, Jesus said, anyone who will come into me, I will in no wise cast out. Now that, that thought about the list, we all have a list of experiences that tell the story of our life, events that become a part of our, of our emotional and our spiritual DNA. And in my list, I have a category, and I'm sure you do the same, of difficulties that we've seen, of trials, of troubles, of hardship that, that, that we encounter. Because in this world, you, you will experience this part of a broken world. And, and I, I, I call that the storms of life. That's why we've titled this series, The Storms of Life. And next week, Kelly will be doing part two. And Kelly's an amazing speaker. And I can't wait to hear what she has to say from the Lord for us as well. But, but I, I want you to know this, that that the storms of life, every single one of us experience them in some degree or another. They're physical, they're, they're emotional, they're spiritual, and they're even literal. I mean, who among us 
can forget Superstorm Sandy, right? I mean, it, it wasn't all that long ago, right? We, we, we were totally, I mean, the majority of us probably inconvenienced. Some of us maybe had some, some real loss. I mean, I mean there, there are people even today living on Long Island who have suffered great loss as a result of, of a storm that came, and that was a literal storm, Superstorm Sandy. My neighborhood was, was out for 12 days, uh, seven hours, 36 minutes. Not counting seconds, all right? That's, that's unimportant. But, but we, we were greatly inconvenienced. I tell you what, it, it, is, it is when you are unable to take a hot shower that you come to realize what really is precious in life, you know? And a hot shower, a warm house, and, and you know, warm food, all of those things, we kind of take that for granted. And, and when it's gone, you know, you, you really miss it. But that's nothing compared to what some others lost. I lost a couple of fence sections, a... Uh, a couple of trees came down on my property, broke uh, my grandchildren's uh, play set, uh, you know, swing set. You know, but, but that's nothing in comparison to a, a lady by the name of Glenda Moore. She had two of her boys in her arms, Brendan, age two, and, and um, Connor, age four, were in her arms during the height of the storm. And she battled against the, the current. She battled against the wind and the rain and and those boys were swept out of her arms. And there's nothing to compare to what she lost that day. I, I want you to, to try to think about with me some of the events that are in your life that you can describe, you can categorize as having experienced the storms of life. Now, now I have a list of some that I've experienced, and, and, and maybe you can relate to some of them because they're common to all of us. So here, here, here goes. Ever have an emergency surgery to save your life? Check. Ever been in the ER in the middle of the night, either for yourself or for a loved one, for a child or for a parent? Ever break out in a cold sweat because you answered the telephone and you got news or you went to the mailbox and you opened the letter that absolutely shook you to the core? Check. Ever sat across a doctor's desk as the doctor explained to you just how serious and just how complicated your loved one's situation was? Check. Ever stood at the grave of somebody that you just couldn't bear to say goodbye to? Check. See, some storms are emotional. Some storms are physical. Some storms are spiritual. They're you know, a broken marriage, a financial crisis, a broken relationship. It takes all forms, and they, and they come in all intensities, just like they measure the, the, the various numbered, you know, hurricanes, you know, a, a, a Category 5, a Category 3. And sometimes those are various in the intensity that, that, that happens in our life. But I tell you what, I, I just love the honesty and the clarity of the Bible, because the Bible the Bible tells us, it gives us a heads up to expect these things in our life. In fact, I love what Jesus said in John 16, 33. He said, he gathered his disciples around them, and he said, guys, guys, listen. He said, in this life, you will have tribulation. In other words, you will have storms. You will experience trouble in this life. It's just a matter of fact. But, Jesus said, and that, that but is so important. He said, but, be of good cheer. Be of good courage because 
I've overcome. And what I think Jesus is saying in that and why it's so important is because he's saying this because your connection to me, because I have overcome, you likewise can overcome. I will give you rest in the midst of the most adverse circumstances that you'll ever face because you won't face them alone. Because one of the promises that we have as followers of Christ is that he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never, never forsake you. I'll be with you always. And that's something that we can count on. So I want to share with you tonight that there's a variety of storms that the the Bible talks about. The Bible gives us a lot of information. It records a lot of different storms that have taken place over the course of the 66 books of the Bible. And and so we're going to look at a a couple of them in terms of what what does God want to say to us by the storms of life? Let me, say, let me say this right away. Some storms, some troubles that we find ourselves in, some of the tribulation that, that we have to deal with are, are self-inflicted. That, that doesn't sound like it fits, but, but it really is true. Some of the stuff that we go through is our, is our own fault, is our, is our own bad choices or our own disobedience. I'll give you an example, classic example. A guy by the name of Jonah. You heard of him, right? Jonah. God says, Jonah, go. Jonah says to God, no. I mean, that's, that's pretty dumb, right? And so Jonah finds himself in a heap of storm, and then he finally says, oh, no, and, and, and he cries out to the Lord. So Jonah's trouble, Jonah's storm was self Inflicted. Now, that's not the focus of my, of my talk tonight. But I want to mention it because the Bible mentions that, and, 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 and it's written for our learning and for our uh, understanding of the nature of these things. But the Bible also teaches that there are some storms that you and I are to resist. That is, we're to stand against it. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. In other words, in other words we, we are to in the, in the name of Jesus, rebuke, because, because the storm that's coming against us is discernibly demonic in its nature. It's the enemy trying to shipwreck our faith. It's the enemy trying to, to wound our health. It's the enemy trying to destroy our life. And so, so we have every right and authority in Christ to stand against that. Again, classic example, Jesus is asleep in the boat, while the disciples are wrestling with this storm that is that has risen up on the Sea of Galilee, and they are so fearful that they're about to die. Now, now, Jesus, I mean, what a perfect picture of resting in the arms of his heavenly Father. He, he's fast asleep. And they wake him up with a, with a horrible, terrible accusation. And that accusation is this, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to perish? Don't you care about our lives? And, and, and that is a horrible presumption. Now, I want you to know that that is one of the first temptations that takes place when we find ourselves in a storm event. We naturally begin to think, we naturally begin to feel, or the enemy begins to whisper, you're going through this because, because God just doesn't care about you. And that is a lie. In fact, it is a part of the original lie that was first spun in the garden. And we're to cast that down because God does care for us. 
So Jesus wakes up, right? And he, and he stands up and he, and he does this. Because he discerns that it is demonic, he rebukes the wind and the sea, and it shuts down. I mean, literally, if you want to uh, go through the, the, the meaning of the words, Jesus said, stop it. He shut it down completely, taking that authority. And the disciples are blown away. They say, what kind of man is this that even nature, the, the wind and sea, obey him? And I say that it's demonic for a reason. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not being presumptuous about this. I, I believe that if you follow the story, you, you begin to discover. Now, now think about th- this with me for a minute. If, if this storm was sent by his heavenly father, Jesus would have never, never, never would Jesus have rebuked what the father had sent. He would have submitted to anything that came from his father's hand because His trust is in his heavenly father. And I say it's demonic because as you follow the story, when they land on the shore of what is called the region of the the Gadareans, he is met by the region demonic. A a, a man who lives among the tombs, who who cuts himself, who, who, who breaks these chains. People try to bind him to keep him from hurting others or hurting himself. And he breaks the chains with his supernatural strength and he lives among the tombs. I mean, th- this guy is not just simply, you know, cuckoo. Th- th- this guy is demon-powered. And I believe that somehow in the realm of the, the, the spirit world, news was broadcast in the spirit world that Jesus was coming. And so th- that which they had feared the most in an attempt to, to prohibit that from taking place that which they had feared the most had come to pass because Jesus now, wherever Jesus is, all things are possible. And Jesus expels the demons out of this man called Legion. And they enter into the pigs and, and you know the story. Uh, Jesus is demonstrating his authority not only over the forces of nature but all, over all, the kingdom of darkness. And the disciples, again, once again, they're, they're blown away by all of this. So, so sometimes, sometimes storms can be the result of our own self-inflicted wrong choices. Sometimes we are to stand and resist the, the, the storm because it's clearly demonic. And so the Lord has given us the authority of his name, the power of the name of Jesus. In my name, they will cast out devils. And in my name, they'll do many wonderful things. And so... And so the name of Jesus has been given to us to speak with authority in certain situations. But then there are certain storms that we are, we, 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 we are to simply submit and, and surrender our all to the sovereignty of God. Now, I'll explain what the sovereignty of God is in a few minutes. But, but the perfect example is, is Jesus, once again, uh, facing what I call is the perfect storm, where, where Jesus is being battered by the wrath of men. The wrath of hell is being poured out upon him at a place called Golgotha. But most of all, Jesus is experiencing the wrath of a holy God as he is being made sin for us who knew no sin. And at the cross, Jesus is bearing the, the cup of God's wrath for us as our substitution. And in that event that takes place, it is, it is without a doubt 
the, the most evil and the most tragic event in all of human history where the prince of life is executed, the, the, the one who, who, who deserved only to be praised and loved and adored is taken and he is vilely treated to, to the point of execution. But what became the most hideous and evil of all events became the most precious act of love and wisdom and power as the Son of God gave himself in submission to his heavenly Father. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit to show just how surrendered Jesus was to the sovereignty of God. You know, whenever we go through the storms of life trusting and submitting ourselves to the sovereignty of God, we, we discover way more about the nature of God, about his goodness, about his faithfulness, than we could ever know when the sky is sunny and, 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 and calm and everything is clear. You know, I, I have come to know more in the 40 years of, of, of ministry. Uh, I've come to know more in the storms of life than in the 40 years I've spent in my study, you know, in quiet time before God and opened my Bible and opened my books. I've come to know more about the majesty of God in that difficult time. The Apostle Paul had his own list, and, and we can go through Paul's list of, of storm events, of epic events that he experienced. You could read about it for yourself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. There are perils and, and dangers that Paul talks about, dangers of false brothers, dangers of, of his own countrymen. Uh, he was beaten with rods. He was, he was stoned. He was, he was lowered over a wall to, 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 to save his life from those that had conspired to, to kill Paul. Uh, on and on it goes, Paul is talking in this list of events, but I want our assignment tonight is to look at just one of Paul's storm events that took place, and it's, we're going to look at Acts chapter 27, we're going to give you a little bit of a background, and, and I'm going to read a few verses, and we're going to break it down and see what, what Paul uh, drew out of his experience. Paul is, a, at this point in, in Acts 27, is a prisoner of the Roman Empire, he is, he is being escorted by a centurion and by soldiers to Rome, and they've booked passage on a ship to, to bring Paul to Rome to stand before Caesar. Jesus has several chapters before, in chapter 23, verse 11, has promised Paul that just as you testified of me in Jerusalem, so you will likewise testify of me of the gospel in Rome. Okay, so, so Paul is en route now to Rome to stand before Caesar to stand before trial. And one of the things that Luke is so, is so detailed about, in fact, in this whole 27th chapter, we have more details about this storm than any other storm recorded in the Scripture. I mean, Luke goes into tremendous detail because I believe it was so hair-raising and nail-biting of an experience that, that he was profoundly affected. And so Luke is inspired to, to record all these things for us to help us to understand the, the nature of these things that take place in this life. Clearly, this was out of their control. But it's never out of God's control, and, and that's what we need to know. And we also need to know that God is faithful, that he keeps his promise, and that not one of his words can fall to the ground. So let's pick up in Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 18. Luke says, We took such a violent battering from the storm, 
that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. So they're caught in a storm. Actually, this, this storm lasted for more than two weeks. Could you imagine being caught in a storm that the duration of it lasted for two weeks? This is we began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. This is one of those occasions where all hands on deck. I mean, even the, even the prisoners, and there was a number of prisoners along with Paul who were helping to, to lighten the ship because they didn't want the ship to break apart because of the, the turbulence that was taking place because of the storm. Verse 20 says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They got to the place where where they did all that they could do. They threw over the tackling. They threw over the cargo. They lightened the ship. There was nothing else they could do. And they're at the point of absolutely giving up. All hope of surviving was gone. Verse 21 says, After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them. They went without food because they were trying to save their lives. They didn't have the time to stop to eat. Paul said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves the damage and the loss. What Paul is talking about here is that he had advised the ship's captain and advised the, the ship's owner and the centurion as well not to set sail. This is late in October. Not a good time to, to, to take a chance on the, the weather in the Mediterranean. I mean, the Mediterranean is huge. They probably were blown off course, maybe four or five hundred miles. They were afraid of ending up on some reef and the ship breaking apart, which is ultimately what was going to happen. And Paul is not being an I told you so here. What Paul is doing is he's reminding them of his previous advice so that he's establishing his credibility so that now they will, they will listen to what is, he's about to say. And so verse 22 Paul says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage. Don't be discouraged because not one of you will be lost. What a bold statement that is. Of the 274 people that were aboard that ship, Paul says not one soul will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. He says, because last night an angel of God, a messenger of God, whose I am, whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. God has graciously, he, he's not only committed to saving Paul and Luke and the others that were with him, but to save every person that was aboard that ship. You know, that is, that is such a great picture of God's heart for the human race. That he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of salvation. And so Paul says in verse 25, So be of good courage, for I believe, God, that it will happen just as he said. And what I want you to know is that Luke lays out the unmistakable truth that God's purposes cannot be thwarted, that God's will will be accomplished even against such forces of, of nature as, as this hurricane was taking place. But here we also see the quiet, calm confidence of a man of faith 
and what can be accomplished through his leadership in an epic crisis like this. Even though Paul is a prisoner, Paul rises up as the, domin- as the, the dominant figure in this chapter. Because of Paul and the God whom Paul served, 276 men are not going to lose their life in what would have been obviously a shipwreck of, of tremendous proportion. I want you to think about that. Years from, from that day, those men, when they got older, would they, would they ever forget that Paul stood up and made that prediction that not one soul would be lost? I believe that he had an unforgettable impact upon their lives. And here's, here's, here's a great truth, that when we trust in God and when we put our confidence in him in that quietness and confidence of, of faith, we will have an impact on others that are all around us. And, and it will be an unforgettable impact. Listen, you, you may have never been caught in a storm on the sea. You might be a land lover like me, you know. But I tell you what, you're not exempt from the storms of life that come with all too much frequency and all too much veracity at times. But here's the point. We should never despair because our God has given us promises upon which we can live. What Paul discovers in this experience is that, is that when you put your trust in God, when you put your trust in the sovereignty of God and his promises that cannot fail, you'll not only not be disappointed, but you'll become, you'll become a great influence in the lives of others. And what we need to know is that God is sovereign over the storms of our life. Here's a biblical statement that I, I'd like you to consider. The biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty over all things is one of the most powerful truths for us to apply in times of trouble. In other words, when you find yourself in an epic storm, emotionally, spiritually, physically, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you're facing, the knowledge that God is sovereign over all, that he's numbered the hairs on your head, that not a sparrow falls to the ground without your heavenly Father's knowledge, When you believe in the sovereignty of God, that is such a a powerful tool in the life of a child of God that's going through times of trouble. God is over all of the events in human history, even the the most tragic events or or apparently, apparently tragic events that have ever taken place in human history. And the cross is the proof of that. Because yes, it was with wicked hands that the prince of life was crucified. Yes, it was the manifestation of evil, but it was all according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God so that Jesus would become the rescuer of men and women, bought not with silver and gold like Schindler's List, but rather would, would be bought by the precious life and blood of the Son of God. Here's what we learn. When things are out of control, they're never out of God's control, no matter how desperate the situation. So let me just tell you what the sovereignty of God is. To say that you believe in the sovereignty of God is to say that you believe that God is almighty, that he is the maker of heaven and earth, that he holds the universe together by the word of his power, that there is is nothing that that can upset his purposes. 
that God's will shall be accomplished, that he overthrows empires, he determines the course of human history as it pleases him, that he's never momentarily surprised or or confused or or doesn't know what to do. He doesn't call Michael and Gabriel together and say, guys, we need to come up with a rescue plan. Any ideas for Paul and Luke? He doesn't do that. He's never taken by surprise. He's never out of control. The the sailors lightened the ship. They did all that they could do. They threw the the non-essential tackle overboard. But Paul was trusting not in human effort, but in the promise that God gave that you will, Paul, stand before Caesar. And God has given you all the souls of the men that are, on, are sailing with you on this ship. Paul, Paul banked upon that. Here's another great truth that we need to remember. That just because you find yourself in an epic storm in your life, that you're going through some difficulty, some, some tribulation, that doesn't mean that you're out of God's will doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that, that, that God's angry with you. Listen, God was not angry with Paul. Paul was at the very center of God's will en route to Rome to stand before trial. This, this was God's purpose and God's will. And so, and so to find yourself in one of those epic storms doesn't mean you're out of God's will. In fact, sometimes it's God's will that we be sent into the midst of a storm. For example, in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus tells his disciples, and they had no choice about this. It was a command that Jesus gave to them. He said, get, get into the ship and sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and they were, it was a compulsion for them to go. They, they were under command to go. And, and Jesus, listen, he, he knows all things. He knew that a storm was brewing. And he wanted them to come to know that sometimes Jesus speaks peace and he calms the storm, but sometimes he lets the storm rage so he can come walking on the water and show himself strong on our behalf. And so sometimes, sometimes God will allow us to go through the storm so that it becomes an opportunity for him to show himself strong on our behalf. Now, I got to tell you, I, I couldn't begin to estimate how many trials my wife and I have been through in 40 years of, of ministry. But I can tell you this with absolute certainty and honesty that, that we've discovered that he is absolutely trustworthy, that he is faithful to his promises, and his promises cannot fail. Sometimes in our life, he's spoken peace in the midst of our storm. We had a... One of our grandchildren, I won't mention who it was, one of our grandchildren, when his, when his, when his, just an infant, when his head was beginning to come together, you know, there's a soft spot, I forgot what they call that, the fontanelle, right? Uh, when, it, when his head was beginning to come together, as he began to mature, you know, six months, seven months, we began to notice a ridge going down uh, his forehead. And uh, I was concerned about it, and I, and I told his parents, I said, you know, we've we got to check this out. And, and they brought him to uh, a specialist who said, oh, you know, th- this is not good. He, he's maturing too quickly. His, 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 his head is coming together, and it's, uh, you know, finalizing too, much, much too quickly. And as a result of that, w- w- we might have to, he might have to have surgery. He might have to have, we might have to cut his head 
around and, and down the middle, and, and we just stood. And, and I'll tell you what, that was an epic storm for us. And we just prayed and we believed God, and God, God moved in such a way that he spoke peace and he spoke calm in the midst of what could have been a frightening ordeal. Sometimes God rebukes the storm. Sometimes he comes riding upon the waves. But I tell you what, we were never outside of God's care. The sailors had no idea where they were. They could have been blown, like I said, four or 500 miles off course. But, but we're, we never drop off of God's radar. God's not dependent upon GPS. He's not depending upon, you know, satellite reception or it, it, it doesn't bother him because the sun flares, you know. He always knows exactly where we are and he always cares for us. I got two statements that I have to put side by side, two, two quotes, one from C.S. Lewis and the other from Charles Spurgeon. And, and really one kind of makes sense of the other, if you know what I mean. It's, it, this is C.S. Lewis. He says, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. Only a real risk tests the reality of belief. In other words, what you truly believe has to be tested. Spurgeon said it like this, faith untested cannot be trusted. When you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. I love that. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, then that will be the thing that you rest yourself on. Listen, I don't know about you, but I got a favorite pillow. You know, uh, with the men's retreat, I plan on taking my pillow with me, you know, because I tell you what, when I'm in a hotel and I don't have my favorite pillow, I just don't get a good night's rest. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. See, but this is not my pillow. This is the pillow for every single believer in Christ that we can rest upon the sovereignty of God when we find ourselves in the midst of trial and troubles. Here's our takeaway today. The storms of life are inevitable, but we can rest in the sovereignty of God because he cares for us. They're inevitable. They're going to happen one way or the other. You, you can't avoid them. They will take place. But we can rest our head on the pillow of God's sovereignty because he cares for us. Now let me just kind of recap what we've learned so far tonight. Some troubles may be self-inflicted. We don't want to go there, right? We, we, we don't want, want to bear our own reaping of, of disobedience. So, so let, let's not even go there. But some storms, some storms are to be resisted in the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. And then there are some storms in which we're, we're, we find ourselves caught in that, that, that are are not because we're out of God's will, but because God has an opportunity for us to, well, to, for him to show himself strong on our behalf. He's not angry with us. He doesn't not love us. And some storms simply require, like Jesus, that we submit ourselves to the sovereignty of his care with our eye fixed on him. We may lose control, but God never loses control. And that ought to be the thing that we rest in more than anything else. Now, I said a little while ago that 
that Shinla's list was really important because it was a list of names who were, who were saved from the death camp. But there's another list. And that list is found in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And if you're here tonight and you don't have that assurance that your name is to be found in the book of life because you're not sure if you trust in Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to just simply, simply open up your heart to the, the sufficiency of Christ, that his sacrifice was sufficient for you in order for you to be saved, for your name to be recorded in the Lamb's book of life. It's a transaction that takes place between you and God when, when you receive the gift of God. You see, you see, Jesus is the greatest gift you will ever receive. God is the greatest gift that you will ever receive. And you do that by, by an acceptance. You believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died on your behalf. And your name, I'm telling you, your name will be put in the book of life. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Anyone will come to me, I will no wise cast out. And for the majority that are here tonight who are followers of Jesus, and you may find yourself in one of those epic storms right now. Maybe, maybe there's something brewing right now. Can I just encourage you to rest your head upon the sovereignty of God? Let that become the pillow upon which you, you rely upon and you, and you trust in God. Because, because to be in the center of his will, of trusting him, is one of the safest places of all to be. The storms of life are inevitable, but we can rest in God's sovereignty because he cares for us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for the opportunity to share your word and to come close and personal with you in an experiential way so that we can hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us tonight. And so, Father, I, I just pray if there's someone here tonight that would like to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that let me just lead you in this simple prayer. It's not magic words. It's just, it's just connecting with Jesus through faith. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for me, that, that my sins were placed upon you, upon the cross. And that in exchange, I go free because, because you paid the price for my salvation. If you do that, if you, if you did that, please tell somebody. Uh, we'd love to pray for you after service. But for those of you who are here who are followers of Christ, I just want to encourage you. So Father, would you, would you speak peace in the midst of the storm? Or would you come walking on the waters? Or would you just enable us through the strength that comes through grace to be able to, to, be able to rest in the sovereignty of God, that God, you have everything under control, that you have numbered the hairs on our head, that you know exactly where we are and that you are faithful. And because of that, God, because you are for us and not against us, therefore we say, who can stand against us? Amen.